0: We began our time in this book, in this letter, last week. And to start it off last week, I asked you a question, sort of as a segue from our born-again series into our time in Galatians. And it was a fill-in-the-blank question. And I gave you time to answer because I want you to consider it. If you are, in fact, a born-again Christian... What must you do then? What's what's required of you now? What is necessary if you are to remain a Christian? If you are to stay in God's good graces? So I asked that question of you and I did not answer it. I'm not going to answer it this morning. I'm not going to answer it for you. I'm going to try really, really hard not to answer it for you. I'm going to let Galatians, over the course of these weeks, answer that question for you. So that was last week. This week, I wanted to get you to do something slightly different. I want to get you to respond to something. So imagine, if you will, having a conversation. Maybe it's with someone you just met, maybe it's a neighbor across the back fence, and it has come up in conversation somehow, and you've been able to ask this person, hey, what do you think it means to be a Christian? What, what, what is that to you? What do you think that means? And here's what I want you to respond to and reflect on. Let's say they answer the question like this. Well, being a Christian, that, that means having a strong belief and trust in and love for God and a life fully committed to Him. I want you to think about that response. What do you make of it? Last week, we looked at the first five verses of Paul's letter to the churches in this region of Galatia. They were introductory verses. And I told you that there was a big problem coming. That Paul was writing to address a problem in the Galatian churches. And so this week we're going to begin the process of digging into what that problem was. And we will soon find out that the problem is that a group of teachers, a group of false teachers, had been distorting the gospel So I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. This is the Word of God. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God add His blessing to the reading and to the teaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. The Lord Paul was angry. Paul was beside himself. He was shocked and alarmed that a church that he had planted, that he had ministered to, had so quickly departed from the gospel. Father, I I pray that you help us to see this morning why that's such a big deal. Why it's worth being angry about. why it's worth saying that folks ought to be accursed because of it. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher this morning? Help us to see that this is a big deal and why it's a big deal. And in doing so, would you again take the truths of the gospel and sink them deep down into our hearts? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So first off, we need to establish a little bit of context if we're going to make sense of this, if we're going to understand this problem that has arisen, this problem of the gospel being distorted. And it's being distorted by a group of Jewish Christians. All right, so that is kind of self-explanatory, but, but there were Jews, good faithful Jews And they responded to Christ. They responded in faith to Christ and to His gospel. And they are now Christians. And now they've come to these churches in Galatia. And they found these Galatian Christians. And so Galatian Christians would be Gentile, not Jewish, by ethnicity. And so the Jewish Christians have come in and they said, Oh, you're Christians too. We're Christians. Isn't that great? but you need to understand what type of Christians we are we're real Christians we're we're varsity level Christians you you can be on the varsity team too you you can up the ante of your christianity you you want to know how you can get off the B team? Well, we'll tell you. You you've just got to be Jewish like we are. We're we're on we're on the varsity team because we were Jewish and now Christian. So so what you need to do is you just need to observe the the Jewish ceremonial laws. You need to. Observe and practice circumcision. You need to keep kosher. You need to observe the ceremony and the ritual that we do. Jesus is fine. That's fine. Keep believing in Jesus. You just need to add this onto your belief in Jesus. Because, see, being faithful to the laws of Moses, that will really make God pleased with you. And the Galatian Christians were going along with it. And so Paul hears about it. And he has a come apart. Astonished, alarmed, stunned. It's hard to put into our English vocabulary words that are strong enough to express his consternation and his indignation and his shock those intro verses that we looked at last week in most all of Paul's other letters they would have immediately been followed up by some type of prayer of thanksgiving Paul praying I'm so thankful for you I'm so thankful to God for you He's praying prayers of blessing on the recipients of his letters. He even did that when he wrote to Corinth. And y'all, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he was writing to address a whole bunch of stuff that was going down in that church. It was bad stuff. Shockingly bad, embarrassingly bad, not going to mention it in the presence of children, bad. And even to that church... Paul gives his normal little thing that we saw last week. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for you always. That's how he's addressing that messed up church in Corinth. Oh, I'm so thankful for you. How you've heard the gospel. But here, to the churches in Galatia... Churches that from all outward appearances had it going on. I mean, they were dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Probably the most moral looking and upstanding and outstanding group you could possibly hope for. But Paul has nothing in the way of thanksgiving to the Lord for them. He just jumps right in with his astonishment, with his, I can't believe what you have done. So what's the big deal? We're going to see this morning four ways that distorting the gospel is a really big deal. we have got an outline in your worship folder to help you follow along. The first thing that gospel distortion is, is it's actually desertion. Gospel distortion is desertion. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished. What is it that Paul is astonished about? That you're so quickly deserting him. That's the root of the problem here. You see, monkeying with the gospel... It's not just about an idea. It's not just about a belief. It's not merely theology. To believe in a distorted gospel is to desert the very one who called you to that gracious gospel in the first place. This deserting word, that's a military word. It's treason. It literally means to transfer allegiance. So this is not just tweaking an idea or a belief that you hold. It's the abandonment of a relationship. I think that Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is helpful. 2 Corinthians 5 is a great chapter, especially toward the end, where Paul's really expounding on the gospel. What is it? What is this gospel thing anyway that we believe and that, we, that we're so um, up in arms about at times? It's helpful because it shows pretty clearly the link between God and His gospel. Look at these verses beginning in 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what the gospel is accomplishing. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then if there ever was A verse that captured in summary form the gospel. Here's a great candidate for it. Verse 21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the gospel is a means of having a relationship with the God of the universe who has been justly offended by our sin and rebellion. The gospel is a means of restoring that relationship with him. And so when you distort the gospel of that God, you desert him in the process. Number two, gospel distortion is gospel destruction. You remember when you were learning to multiply numbers. There's some rules for multiplication. One of the the foundational rules of multiplication is that any number multiplied by zero is zero. Right? Any number multiplied by zero, you get nothing. It's a foundational rule of multiplication. Most of you know that. What some of you may not be aware of is there is a, there's a foundational rule about gospel addition. The foundational rule of gospel addition is that when you add anything to the gospel, you get nothing, zero. Paul gets caught up a bit in the end of of verse 6. And I see why he gets caught up. He's just so beside himself. He says, you're turning to a different gospel. And then he catches himself. There's not another gospel. Whatever you're turning to, it's not the gospel. And and that's literally how it's it's worded and, and phrased here. You're turning to a different gospel that is not another. Whatever it is you're turning to, it is not gospel. It, it's something completely different. If you add to the gospel, you effectively destroy it. The grace of the gospel plus anything else equals nothing. Now, here's where probably some folks were asking. Maybe even some of you are asking, is it really that big of a deal? Or are you just blowing this thing out of proportion? Because it's not like we're saying, well, don't believe in Jesus, because obviously that would be bad, right? These folks are fine with Jesus. Keep your belief in Jesus. That's great, that's wonderful. They just want a little ceremony thrown in. What could be the harm? Well, think about the word itself, gospel. What's it mean? Literally, gospel means very good, good news. And the gospel of grace in Christ is indeed good news. Verse six, he's saying, "I'm astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ." Now that's good news that we've been called in the grace of Christ. I've mentioned to you before. I'm, I'm normally not a fan of cute little acronyms. I'm, I'm usually quite averse to those, but there's an acronym for grace. That despite its cuteness is just rock solid and you can't do better than that. And many of you know it, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's hard to improve upon that. And that's what Paul is getting at in those verses in Second Corinthians 5 that we looked at. Specifically that last verse, 5.21. Jesus was made to be sin for us. That's at Christ's expense, right? At His expense. He he became sin for us. And we become the righteousness of God. We get His righteous life credited to our account. Are those not riches that we've received? God's riches at Christ's expense. Y'all, that's good news. That is good news. That is gospel. But when you add anything else to it, It's no longer good news. If it's faith in Christ plus keeping this, albeit a short list of religious demands, that's no longer good news. That's now a burden to bear. See, the good news of the gospel is that I can be confident. In my right standing with the Father, I can be confident that that relationship has been restored, that I have, in fact, been reconciled to God. I can be confident based on what Jesus has already finished and completed. But if you add something to that, you make what He did redundant, you degrade the value of what He did. You say in some way that it was nice, it was a nice gesture, but it wasn't enough. When you strip the gospel of its power and its glory and you add stuff to it that you have to complete, then your confidence, it goes right out the window. you the glory of Christ is at stake here. Either what he did was complete and sufficient and finished and accepted by God the Father in our place. Or we're on our own. The gospel plus anything equals zero. Adding to the gospel destroys it. Number three, gospel distortion always brings damnation. Now Paul gets a little intense here in verses 8 and 9. Let's look at them again. Even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. Your translation may say eternally cursed, Yours may have a footnote, and it has the actual Greek word there, which we've assumed into our English language, anathema, damned. We've recently been reading in Joshua. Not too long ago, we went through the whole book together in a sermon series. In chapter 6, when Jericho was captured... God's instruction was for them to devote to destruction everything. Man, woman, child, animal. It was the execution of God's judgment and wrath. Interestingly enough, when the Old Testament gets translated into Greek, what word should they choose to go there for this devotion of things to destruction than anathema? So Paul's meaning here is, if you're distorting the gospel, you are to be damned. You are to be devoted to destruction. You need to experience God's wrath and judgment And Paul doesn't just say it once. It's not like he's being rash and hot-headed and threatening to wipe a country off the map. No, this is measured. This is thought out. He repeats it. He says, in case you miss this the first time, it's also not just his personal venom toward teachers that he doesn't like. Because he's including himself in this potential curse of experiencing God's wrath. He says, even if I come back, even if future Paul comes and says something different, let that Paul be damned. And then he really ups the ante. This is kind of crazy. Even if an angel from heaven should come. Now I don't know if he's just this is just hyperbole. If he's just trying to pick the most outlandish thing possible. Or it may be related. We're going to get down in chapter 3 of Galatians. The Jews had some understanding in their mind of, of the angels possibly participating in, in the law's original transmission and communication. All right, Could be something with that. But it doesn't matter. Irrespective of the messenger, it is the message that must be protected at all costs. It is the message that will never change. There will never be a change to the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. So let's explore this one just a a tiny bit more because this is important. I just mentioned to you, the gospel never changes. Never, never, never. But you may have the question, and it's a good question, how do we know that what we believe is the true gospel? And that's a pretty important question if damnation is at stake for getting it wrong. I think the key here is in verse 8. Paul says, if anyone comes and preaches a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you right so think back to last week if you were here pauls at length explaining his apostolic authority right we talked about what it meant to be an apostle to be one who was sent by and authorized by the lord jesus himself to go and to teach so the true gospel has to be the one that the apostles taught that the authors recorded in scripture even in this letter that we're looking at and that jives with the rest of everything that's been recorded in scripture that's the true gospel. And anything that comes along that doesn't jive with that is a distortion. Now the last thing about this this damnation bit even still isn't that a bit harsh? That just seems really harsh. Just for adding a little bit to the gospel. We've got to remember our first two points. That distortion is desertion. It's deserting the God of the gospel and its destruction. It's destruction. The whole gospel comes apart when you add to it. It is a very big deal. And here's why I think that, that this damnation piece is so key. The threat of damnation is actually a dual threat. Obviously, on the top layer, it's a threat for those that would preach this gospel that's contrary to the true gospel. But their damnation is threatened and promised because of those that they'll lead astray. Because those that they lead astray to will be damned. If they end up trusting in their own works, rather than the finished work of Christ, they'll be damned. And so I think this is justified. I think this is somewhat parallel to to Mark 9 when Jesus is teaching he says if anyone leads one of these little ones to sin it'd be better that he had a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea it's a very big deal getting the gospel wrong is a very big deal and especially when we lead others into that distorted gospel it's a very big deal it's important and we have to treat it as such We cannot afford to get the gospel wrong. We need to guard it. We need to repeat it. We must never assume it. Fourthly and finally, gospel distortion is desperation for approval. There's a couple of things going on here. Look at verse 10. almost seems a little tacked on or disjointed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what I think is going on here. I think Paul has been accused of some things by these Jewish Christian false teachers. He's been accused of saying things to win the approval of men. He's been accused even of being a hypocrite, of saying this thing when i'm with this crowd of people and saying this thing when i'm with this crowd of people he's been accused of varying his teaching depending on who his audience is part of that has to do with timothy and titus of why he insisted that timothy be circumcised and he insisted that titus not be circumcised right now the details of that we're going to say for chapter 2 and we'll get to that it's important But what I want you to see here is Paul is definitely not any longer seeking the approval of men. He says that, that word still. If I were still trying to seek what Paul was doing before he came to Christ, he was definitely seeking the approval of men. Here, not so much. He's not seeking approval. It's actually the ones distorting the gospel that I want to show you in a minute that I think are seeking the approval. But Paul's not. He's not seeking men's approval. And to me, this just seems a bit of a no-brainer. Because if ever you want to garner the approval of man, you probably shouldn't go around threatening eternal damnation for anybody who disagrees with you. Lots of ways to influence people and win friends. Eternal damnation didn't make the top ten list. So Paul's not seeking man's approval but i think it is the gospel distorters who are look back at verse 7 i think they so desperately crave it back at verse 7 you've starting to teach a different gospel not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of christ They want to do this. There is something for them to gain in distorting the gospel. Why would you ever want to distort the gospel? Well, I can think of like a hundred reasons. Feel good about yourself. Feel a sense of approval, either from God or from your peers or, or in your own eyes and in your own self-estimation of what you've been able to accomplish, what you've been able to contribute. Why do we distort the gospel? Why do we either add to it or make it about something completely else, something completely other than what Jesus did for us? Hundreds of reasons. Here are just a few. Try these on for size. See if they fit you or me. We add to the gospel there by destroying it and distorting it. because a Jesus-only gospel is offensive. It wounds our pride. Do not tell me that I can't contribute anything to my own salvation. Don't tell me that I have to depend on Jesus for all of it, that I'm too sinful to participate. I'm a good person, darn it. See, if I contribute in some way, then I feel less beholden. I feel less needy. I feel less like the beggar out in front of the Walmart parking lot holding up the sign that we drive by. I feel less like that if I can add something to the Gospel. If I can add my performance. If I can add something. Something about the strength of my faith or something about the seriousness of my commitment. Remember our imaginary friend's response to our question? Let's put that back on the screen. Being a Christian means having a strong belief and trust in and love for God and a life fully committed to him y'all gospel distortion is subtle it's sneaky did you did you think about that before This is a distortion of the gospel that is no gospel at all. But it sure sounded good, didn't it? I mean, who's going to argue with that? Well, if I cared deeply about my neighbor, I would not necessarily argue, but I sure would probe a little bit. I sure would ask some more questions, because I don't see the work of Christ anywhere in that. I see that completely being about me. And what I've done and what I think I've contributed. I see where I've made the quality of my faith more important than the object of my faith. Where is the finished work of Christ there? Or maybe we've subtly and we don't even realize that we've just shifted our gospel, which is not another gospel, off of Christ. Christ completely and now for us the essence of being a Christian the thing that I need you to approve of to make me feel good about myself maybe for me the essence of being a Christian has become all about the pro-life movement or being a Christian is all about being anti-homosexual or maybe for me being a Christian is all about being politically conservative or in another church, it might be about being politically liberal. Has my Christianity, has the gospel for me been subtly replaced by patriotism or nationalism or make America great againism? Or maybe it's family values. Maybe the essence of Christianity for me has become having well mannered, respectful children who get jobs and leave the nest successfully, has that subtly snuck in and replaced the gospel? Y'all, some of these things can be good things, but they still distort and replace the gospel. It, It could be something like getting prayer back in schools, as if the recitation of the Lord's Prayer sometimes, somehow equals faith in the finished work of Christ. Oh, friends, distortions of the gospel are all around us. All around us, and they're so subtle. If anything, even a good thing takes our eyes off of, or our focus off of Christ's Completed work. If anything has us looking elsewhere for approval. See, if, if one of those things has become my false gospel, I'm desperately seeking approval in you adopting it too, in you adopting my hobby horse, in you adopting my false gospel, because it validates me. It makes me feel like I'm on the right track, like I'm onto something. Y'all, if we're seeking our approval in anything other than the finished work of Christ, anything other than his righteous life and his sacrificial death, if anything gets added to that and becomes a litmus test of what it means to be a real Christian, of what it means to be serious about your faith then that, friends, is a distortion of the gospel. It is no longer the gospel. It is no longer good news. Friends, we have all the approval we will ever need in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May He grant to us the grace to not look elsewhere. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us to know and love your gospel so well that we would instantly pick up on the counterfeits, that we would instantly see the distortions, the distortions that we've put there trying to make ourselves feel better, Trying to seek approval. Getting confused about the fact that Jesus really did complete it all. That when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. God help us to come to grips with that personally. For our own sake, but also for the sake of those of us, those that are around us that we might not distort the gospel for them, that we might not allow them to rest easy in their own distorted versions of the gospel. Lord Jesus, you are to be praised for your finished work. We pray all these things in your name and for your sake, amen.